Hey there, I'm TG Brandfault, and you are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. The Gondrepreneur.com podcast gives us an opportunity to speak directly with entrepreneurs and experts who are working on the front lines of the industry to normalize cannabis through responsible business, education, and activism. As your host, I will do my best to bring you actionable information to help you plan, grow, and manage your cannabis business. Today, my guest is Danielle Keene, political director for the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, better known as Normal. Keene has served as the political director for Normal since 2015. In that role, she manages local, state, and federal lobbying efforts and promotes the organization's political outreach efforts. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? Thank you so much, TG. I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Today, we're going to touch on a lot of different states that will be voting on cannabis measures this election cycle. In total, there are five states up for recreational legalization, and four states will be voting on medical cannabis initiatives. I want to start with Maine, which is voting on recreational because they're taking a somewhat unusual approach by creating the new industry under the Department of Agriculture instead of the Department of Liquor or an entirely new cannabis department. What is your take on this approach? So, you know, there isn't too much significance in treating cannabis as an agricultural product and having industry oversight through the Department of Forestry versus another state department. Uh, this situation is sometimes more voter friendly. People feel more comfortable if marijuana uh, isn't being associated with a liquor or alcohol control board, which we often see in other states. Uh, and they'll feel better if it's in a separate regulatory framework. And that's a decision that the voters should decide. Uh, but when it comes down to it, there's still going to be a licensing process for businesses and administrative rules for the recreational program the same way if it were to be treated agriculturally or not. Uh, but the polling in Maine looks really strong. Uh, I believe there's a margin of support of about 53 to 38% um, according to a September poll. Um, so treated agriculturally, agriculturally or not, um, I think we're going to uh, see that pass. How does uh, this sort of set up with the Department of Forestry, d does it differ at all from its national counterparts? You know, it, it doesn't really. Again, not in too, you know, significant of a way. Again, many of those administrative and regulatory duties are the same. Uh, despite its kind of classification. Um, limits on, cultiva on cultivation, allowing municipalities to regulate the number of dispensaries um, and licensing, they're all responsibilities of whatever department oversees the program, um, forestry or not. If Maine were to pass, which other states could that influence or encourage to pass similar measures? Um, hopefully other states in New England, uh, but specifically following suit, uh, treating it as an agricultural product or not, I'm not sure too many. Okay. Um, so on the opposite side of the country, we have California, whose recreational industry is est estimated to be worth about $1.3 billion by 2018 and about $4 billion by 2020. Uh, what does legalization in California, the country's most populous state, mean to legalization efforts nationally? Uh, California is 
absolutely no doubt about it. Definitely the state everyone will be looking at to move into a fully legalized and regulated market come November. Uh, just as you mentioned, it is the most populous state in our country. I think something like one in six Americans lives in California. Uh, they have largely led reforms in the marijuana movement in the past. They were the first state to uh, pass a medical marijuana law back in 1996, which sparked uh, you know, modern medical marijuana programs that we, we see around the country today. Um, so you are correct in that if California approves AUMA or the Adult Use of Marijuana Act or Proposition 64, uh, then it could definitely inspire a wave of other reforms, just as we've seen California do in the past. And uh, that's not only on the state level, realizing that because California uh, is so large, they have the most representation on the federal level in Congress. Uh, so we'll now have an even, well, hopefully we'll have an even larger representation in Washington, D.C. Uh, of lawmakers with home states that have legal regulated adult use markets. Uh, so I think you'll find that they'll be more open to protecting these state laws when that comes up in uh, federal law. And of course, we already know actually um, from Normal's congressional scorecard that California has already the most friendly um, federal delegation in Washington, D.C. So, so still, despite, you know, kind of the uh, the trajectory of of the industry, if California does legalize it recreationally, uh, the proposition itself has drawn the ire of some pro-cannabis activists. Some say it will dismantle the medical marijuana program. And what is your take on what it would do to the medical program, as well as what, what might you say to those activists? Of course. Um, so as we all know, California has been involved in uh, the marijuana industry, both legally and not, for quite some time. And so because of that, uh, we have so many different stakeholders that have been participating in this for longer than, you know, any of us have seen these reforms come about. So this diverse set of interests, um, there's no surprise that an initiative like this doesn't please everyone. It would be impossible to draft a marijuana legalization initiative in a complicated state such as California that hits the perfect compromise on every possible negotiation. So the first thing activists should know is that AUMA or Prop 64 is not the last word. Uh, there will be continued uh, further changes in state and federal law that will guarantee affordable med medical access, uh, protect employment and housing rights, uh, facilitate banking and allow interstate commerce. And the second note is that AUMA's regulatory provisions are largely patterned on the Medical Marijuana Regulation and Safety Act, MMRSA, uh, which was the package of bills that was recently passed by the California legislature and became effective uh, January 1st of this year. So these provisions are sorely needed. Uh, California's medical marijuana program was unregulated. Uh, and often the example for other states reforming their laws on what not to do. Uh, so I think California is in an important time right now of hopefully ushering in full legalization and adapting those new laws to the regulation of the medical program. Things are changing. Uh, so I think in the next few years, local municipalities will be figuring things out. The state will too. 
And I encourage activists to be a part of that conversation. Get into contact with your local municipalities. Join up with other activists that feel the same way you do. Uh, Normal has a number of California chapters around the state. uh, And I encourage you to try to make these laws work for you. Uh, Like I said, uh, part of AUMA or Proposition 64 in California allows for most provisions to be modified by the legislature. So this isn't the end of changes for California. In many states, uh, there seems to be legislative changes happening. In uh, Michigan, for example, they just overhauled their their medical marijuana infrastructure. Uh, In uh, Florida, they're, they're trying to... Uh, do the same via, mm-hmm. via an amendment. So do you think that this is a smart way to legislate cannabis and marijuana is to kind of put something out there uh, that, you know, gets the ball rolling and then go back and, and make the necessary changes? I don't think it's an ideal way, but I think it's unavoidable. I think that it's a compromise between having uh, the legislature enact laws that they believe are necessary, and then on the other side, having citizen-driven ballot initiatives uh, pick up the slack and do uh, enact policies that the legislature isn't acting on. Um, so I think it's kind of a balance that is uh, being played out through states around the country. Um, not everywhere, because not every state has the ability ability to have a citizen-run ballot initiative, but a lot of these states, I think it's um, a, a successful way to find compromise between voter opinion and legislative action. On that note, we're going to take a short break. You are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. Being a cannabis entrepreneur comes with a lot of stress. And while you are busy developing and running your business, managing a team of loyal employees, and working to build a sustainable venture, the last thing you should need to worry about are your personal finances. With Latitude Financial Group, you will have the tools you need to manage your finances efficiently and easily without all the hassle. Latitude Financial Group provides a platform that shows you everything you have all in one place and that stays current without time-consuming updates and synchronizations. You'll gain access to a free one-hour consultation and an award-winning financial management software suite that will empower you to better visualize and manage your finances. With Latitude, You can form a relationship with an unbiased, fee-based, objective, professional, personal advisor who understands your unique concerns, who listens to your needs, and who has years of experience applying financial solutions to the most complicated of financial scenarios. Based in Denver, Colorado, the Latitude Financial Group team will work with you in ways that fit your life. Whether you prefer a face-to-face meeting with an advisor at one of their 20 Metro Denver area locations, a phone call, a Skype meeting, or chat, they can help you work to achieve your financial goals. So, if your personal or business finances are causing you stress, if you are losing sleep wondering if your financial future is secure in the career path you have chosen, or if you want to work with a financial advisor who is interested in helping you become successful in your business endeavors, give Latitude Financial Group a call and start being proactive about your financial future today. Don't wait. Latitude is offering the first 10 listeners one year of free access to their award-winning software platform. Go to rollingingrass.com. That's rollingingrass.com 
to get latitude in your financial life. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer member of FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. Scott Cody, Daniel Grote Representatives, Latitude Financial Group, and Securities America are unaffiliated. Latitude Financial Group and the Securities America companies are unaffiliated. Uh, welcome back. You are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfall, talking to Danielle Keene, political director for Normal. Uh, before the break, we were discussing the AUMA, the Adult Use of Marijuana Act in California. But now we're going to move back to the East Coast, to Massachusetts, where so far it seems like the ballot initiative vote could go either way. According to our poll aggregates, the majority approve of the measure, but it still has less than 50% of voter support. Uh, what do you think that these, this polling data says about the initiative's chances in Massachusetts? And are the opinions of powerful lawmakers such as Governor Charlie Baker and Boston Mayor Marty Walsh having any impact on the opinions of voters? So I definitely think this is going to be a close one uh, come election day. I think the latest polling data I looked at, which was a September WBZ UMass Amherst poll, put support at a 53 to 40% lead with about 7% still unsure. Um, however, within that poll, support for the measure was found in all age groups, except, of course, for voters over 55 years old. Uh, so I believe the measure could pass if voters turn out to the polls, uh, mainly millennial voters that typically don't turn out to the polls. If they do turn out, uh, and hopefully they do, I think this measure uh, could be successful. But like you mentioned, unfortunately, there is a well-organized opposition group in the state with endorsements from powerful lawmakers like the governor uh, and the mayor of Boston. Uh, but Massachusetts is used to having uh, a marijuana-related amendment on the ballot. In 2008, they voted to decriminalize possession of marijuana, and in 2012, they legalized medical marijuana. Both of those measures uh, passed by significant margins, I think about 30 percent, uh, which the legalization initiative definitely does not have that margin. So it may just be that Massachusetts voters are still warming to the idea of a legal market. Um, it's a wonder why, though, uh, with decriminalization in place, it's a shame for a state not to benefit from uh, the tax revenues associated with a regulated above ground market. So I think as we get closer to the election, uh, if we have any listeners living in Massachusetts, now is the time to get active and supporting the initiative. Reach out to friends and family and make sure they're aware of the question and let them know why you'll be supporting the measure. Uh, voters and marijuana activists definitely need to mobilize in Massachusetts if we want to see it succeed. So you had mentioned millennial voters who very strongly supported uh, Bernie Sanders in his uh, run for the Democratic nomination. Do you think that it will be the millennial voters that, that are going to make a difference in whether or not some of these initiatives pass? Absolutely. I think the millennial, millennial voters are the ones that are going to be the deciding factor. Uh, they're the ones that typically do not uh, show out to the polls. Um, obviously, in uh, midterm election years, you'll see uh, elections sway way more 
uh, Republican. You hardly see any marijuana-related initiatives on ballots during those years because uh, it's just not a good strategy. So we absolutely need millennial voters to come out and support these marijuana-related initiatives um, if, if we want them to succeed. So back west, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in Nevada. Um, this is actually the first appearance for legalization on the ballot in that state. And some might consider Sin City a slam dunk for legalization. But Oregon didn't successfully pass their legalization measure on its first try in 2012. So do you think that the voters are going to take the leap on the first shot that they have? Or do you think that they'll be trying again in 2018? That is hard to say. Uh, I definitely don't want to discount voters uh, by saying it won't happen until 2018 just yet uh, before they get a chance to vote on it. I believe polling in Nevada is putting support at around 52 percent. Uh, so again, pretty close. Um, and I think it's clear to everyone how fitting marijuana legalization would be for Nevada. And, and to be honest, I personally think that it's going to pass. Um, for what it's worth, the state's largest newspaper, the Las Vegas Review Journal, did endorse this question during the petition collecting process. Um, unfortunately, since then, uh, Sheldon Adelson, who is a casino mogul and anti-marijuana advocate, purchased uh, the Las Vegas Review Journal and forced the editorial board to reverse their support. Uh, but I think the paper's first position really signifies where voter sentiment is. Also, looking at how close Nevada is to states like Oregon and Washington, uh, and there's just one state between them and Colorado, they have to be watching these other states flourish with their legalization programs and want to get their fair share. Uh, and I think this is something we're going to start seeing happening around the country as more and more states move forward with these legalization initiatives. Other states are going to have to move forward with their own reforms. You, you had mentioned uh, Adelson, uh, mm -hmm. the casino mogul, who's actually, you know, he's been funding, pro I mean, you know this, he's been funding prohibition uh, pretty much every chance he gets he just gave a million dollars to uh the campaign the anti-campaign in florida mm -hmm. How, however from what i've seen the pro camps are largely out fundraising the anti-camps even with you know billionaire casino moguls getting involved i mean why do you kind of think that this uh, this shift is sort of happening to where the the pro-campaigns are outfunding the anti-campaigns. Yeah, that's a great observation and a really uh, sure sign that uh, the, now, the time is now to legalize marijuana. I think people around the country are starting to see the dollar signs in their eyes. Uh, for better or for worse, there is just money to be made in the marijuana market. Uh, and so I think that is luckily taking shape in uh, – people investing in these ballot initiatives. Uh, they're not waiting until it's legal to invest their money. They want to be the first ones in, and so therefore they're going to start investing and in getting it legal. Um, so I think it's a, a great thing for the marijuana movement. I think it comes with a number of pros and serious cons that people need to be aware of and evaluate. Uh, after these states reform their laws and they start to establish markets. 
but for now, I, I welcome all of the help uh, and financial help from these investors to get these laws changed first. I'm T.G. Brandfault here with Danielle Keene, political director for Normal. We're going to take one more short break, and when we get back, we will discuss the medical initiatives on the ballot. At Gontrepreneur, we have heard from dozens of cannabis business owners who have encountered the issue of canna bias, which is when a mainstream business, whether a landlord, bank, or some other provider of vital business services, refuses to do business with them simply because of their association with cannabis. We have even heard stories of businesses being unable to provide health and life insurance for their employees because the insurance providers were too afraid to work with them. We believe that this fear is totally unreasonable and that cannabis business owners deserve access to the same services and resources that other businesses are afforded, that they should be able to hire consultation to help them follow the letter of the law in their business endeavors, and that they should be able to provide employee benefits without needing to compromise on the quality of coverage they can offer. This is why we created the Gondrepreneur.com Business Service Directory, a resource for cannabis professionals to find and connect with service providers who are cannabis friendly and who are actively seeking cannabis industry clients. If you are considering hiring a business consultant, lawyer, accountant, web designer, or any other ancillary service for your business, go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to browse hundreds of agencies, firms, and organizations who support cannabis legalization and who want to help you grow your business. With so many options to choose from in each service category, you will be able to browse company profiles and do research on multiple companies in advance so you can find the provider who is the best fit for your particular need. Our business service directory is intended to be a useful and well-maintained resource, which is why we individually vet each listing that is submitted. If you are a business service provider who wants to work with cannabis clients, you may be a good fit for our service directory. Go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to create your profile and start connecting with cannabis entrepreneurs today. Welcome back. You are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfall, talking to Danielle Keene, political director for Normal. Uh, I want to talk to you a bit about the medical initiatives. Uh, first, I want to start with Arkansas, where voters are in a particularly unique position due to the fact that they will have two initiatives to choose from in November. Uh, according to a September 25th poll by Talk Business and Politics and Hendricks College, 49% said they would support the amendment, which does not include grow your own provisions, uh, and 43% were opposed, uh, while 36% said they would support the act, which includes grow your own provisions for those with hardship certificates, compared to 53% opposed. If both are passed, uh, the one with the more votes supersedes the other. Do, do you guys have a preference on which measure is enacted here? So we do. Uh, last month, Normal's board of directors uh, did vote to endorse the 2016 Arkansas Medical Cannabis Act, which is the measure that does include grow your own provisions. Uh, for full disclosure, the attorney representing the Arkansas Medical Cannabis Act is a longtime Normal Legal Committee member, uh, John Wesley Hall from Little Rock. Uh, but it comes down to this. 
Normal is a marijuana consumer rights group. We represent the interests of the marijuana consumer. Uh, the other initiative, the Arkansas Medical Marijuana Amendment, is far more restrictive than uh, the first in terms of the list of conditions for which marijuana could be recommended. And obviously, it does not permit personal cultivation. Uh, and as a result, the normal board felt the Arkansas Medical Cannabis Act is a more consumer-friendly proposal and uh, did elect to endorse it. So why do you think that voters are supporting the amendment more so than the act at this point? That's a really good question I have myself. Um, I'm not sure if it comes down to voter education, if uh, one campaign is doing a better job uh, getting their message out to the voters uh, and is truly informing them uh, honestly about their initiative. Um, so I don't have an answer for that. It would seem to me that more people, uh, marijuana consumers, would support uh, the Arkansas Medical Marijuana Amendment. So I'm, I'm just not sure. Uh, the ACT supporters, Arkansas Compassionate Care, have said that if both initiatives make the ballot, it's almost certain that both will fail. Do you see this as the likely scenario in the state? Unfortunately, it's a possible outcome. Uh, essentially, when you have two competing initiatives on the ballot, uh, you're going to split the vote in half, forcing neither of the measures to pass. Um, what we do know in Arkansas is that support for the measures is really, really high when voters are asked about one or the other. Uh, when faced with just one marijuana initiative, they absolutely, no doubt about it, support it. However, when voters are asked about both at the same time, support for those is significantly lower. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see how this one turns out. And according to your uh, political scorecard, uh, Arkansas doesn't have a lot of legislative friends uh, regarding medical cannabis. You are correct. Arkansas's uh, delegation is not good whatsoever. So it would be really, really great for them to take some action uh, this election day by passing one of these initiatives. So North Dakota's medical marijuana proposal uh, would require the compassionate care centers to operate as not-for-profits. It would establish a compassionate care fund comprised of donations, fees, and civil, civil penalties. Uh, which would provide funds for the program's operations. Uh, what is your opinion on this model? Is it viable? Are there downfalls? Oftentimes, this requirement for medical marijuana dispensaries to operate as not-for-profits is related to the need for transparency. Uh, it's also used to keep the price of medical marijuana down and accessible for a patient no matter their ability to pay. And for that reason, I think it's a good model. Uh, it does, however, need to be sustainable and obviously not at the expense of others in the state. For example, using civil penalties to fund it. Uh, we don't want to see an increase in civil penalties related to marijuana possession or use in a public place just so that the compassionate care centers can operate. So I don't believe it's the perfect model. Uh, and I think the state will have a warming period where over time they'll learn exactly how this is going to work out. Um, but we've seen it in other states, and I, I think it's a good place to start. Have those other states evolved their programs into operations that make money? 
Um, yes, a, a not-for-profit doesn't necessarily mean that they cannot uh, make a profit. It just means they need to be kind of transparent about it and they have a, a cap for those. But we have seen successful nonprofit medical dispensaries. Well, a not-for-profit model will certainly provide a lot of job opportunities and medicine for people who need it. So that sounds like a, it would be a good place to start for North Dakota. Let's jump topics again and talk about Florida. So, so Florida is kind of unique. They, they just, their, their program, uh, it's very limited medical marijuana program, uh, just, uh, took effect essentially. And the centers just began to open in the summer. So can you kind of outline Florida's constitutional amendment proposal and how it differs from the current system implemented this year and what impact might it have on patients who are presently enrolled? Yeah, absolutely. So you're correct in that Florida's uh, medical law that is currently in place and just took action is very, very restrictive. It's a medical CBD law that allows for patients who are suffering from only cancer, muscle spasms, seizures, and terminal illness to access CBD products uh, that essentially don't have any THC in them. Uh, so these patients are not have they do not have access to the full marijuana plant, and therefore they don't have access to the full therapeutic potential found in marijuana. Um, so this constitutional amendment, yes on two, uh, would essentially just expand upon the current Charlotte's Web law. It would allow uh, significantly more patients with a variety of ailments uh, access to an increased variety of mar marijuana. Most notably, um, it allows for people suffering from chronic pain, uh, which is a really common ailment. Uh, to, and obviously, they'll expand upon uh, the marijuana that they're currently growing to include uh, high THC strands. I'm not sure it would have any detrimental effect on patients that are presently enrolled in the program. Uh, these patients are already accessing their medicine. Uh, if yes on two were to pass, it would simply expand upon who is eligible for the program, what marijuana products patients will have access to, and obviously an increased accessibility with more growers and distributors. So it would put it a little more on par with, say, a New York program, which while still limited, um, actually New York's a really bad example. Um, yes, <laughs> more, more of a more of a Michigan, uh, more of a Michigan type system. Yes, exactly. Uh, when you it, with normal, we kind of classify medical marijuana programs to two degrees: uh, a regular medical marijuana program where there is a variety of qualifying conditions, and there's a variety of marijuana products um, and potencies available for the patients. And then the other programs we classify as CBD programs, where patients uh, only have access to CBD products, CBD standing for cannabidiol, which is the non-euphoric part of the cannabis plant. Um, so if yes on two were to pass, Florida's medical marijuana program would go from a CBD medical program to more of a general uh, medical marijuana program that you find uh, around the country. So in Montana, if I remember correctly, they went from originally having a full medical cannabis market to a much tighter CBD-only market after the state cracked down on them. Is that accurate? Uh, not exactly. Uh, the situation in Montana is a very confusing scenario for medical marijuana users and supporters. 
So for the, for, for the past five years, a certain bill that was passed by the legislature uh, was involved in a number of legal issues. And therefore, while it was undergoing all of this uh, legal attention, key provisions of that bill went unenforced. Earlier this year, 2016, a court ruled in favor of upholding that law that was under this legal scrutiny. And what that law does is it limits medical marijuana providers to selling marijuana to a maximum of three patients. And prior to this, obviously, there was no limit on the number of patients a provider could sell to. So before this ruling um, this year, this provision was obviously not being enforced and patients had readily access to medical marijuana. Um, luckily, after the ruling, advocates in the state jumped into action um, and started immediately collecting signatures to place a medical marijuana initiative on the ballot. Uh, that is now known as I-182, or the Montana Medical Marijuana Initiative. And all the initiative um, seeks to do is to repeal that limit of three patients for each licensed provider. And it allows a number of other things. It allows providers to hire employees to cultivate, dispense, and transport, all of that good stuff. Uh, so essentially, the program, as it was once known, can go back to that if voters in the state approve this initiative. Which is, I, I think it's, it's a really unique, uh, how do I want to put this nicely? It's kind of a unique rebellion against uh, them decimating that that system. Um, yes, absolutely. Um, it's a very impressive feat uh, that advocates in, in Montana uh, got together, uh, organized quickly after this court ruling in February of this year uh, to get this back on the ballot. And I really hope that it passes because they definitely deserve it. Well, here we are. It's October 2016, and we have nine marijuana ballot initiatives at one time. Uh, a court ruled that the federal government can no longer use federal funds to crack down on cannabis businesses legally operating under state-run programs. The FBI reports simple possession arrests are at their lowest point in nearly a decade, but at 574,641, that number is still greater than zero, which is still too many. Uh, but is the tide kind of shifting here? Does 2016, are, are we getting to a more normal, normalized uh, cannabis culture? Absolutely. There's no doubt that the tide is definitely shifting, and it actually has been for a number of years already. About 68% of millennials say marijuana should be completely legal, and 50% of baby boomers also favor legalization. One in eight Americans, or 13%, uh, now report that they currently smoke marijuana, according to a recent Gallup poll, which is nearly double the number of current users, or 7%, found by Gallup just three years earlier. 43% uh, of Americans acknowledge that they have tried marijuana at some point in their lives, and one in five adults under 30 years of age regularly use marijuana. Um, so there's just no doubt that as millennials are aging and our older <laughs> comrades are uh, dying, voter opinion is so in favor of, of marijuana legalization. Um, I do, however, want to point one thing out. 
about the recent court ruling that you mentioned. The court did uphold a budgetary amendment that prohibits the Department of Justice from cracking down on cannabis businesses that are legally operating under state-run programs. However, this was an annual budgetary amendment approved by Congress, uh, but it has to be passed through the budget every single year. So that one little protection for these legal uh, businesses has to be reauthorized every year. And unfortunately, that provision, uh, which was passed the past two years, has not yet been reauthorized for next year. Uh, Normal has uh, an easy to use take action tool on our website uh, that you can contact your federal lawmakers and tell them that they need to pass this protection again this year. Um, so if you want to take action on that, you can visit our website. But there's no doubt that the tide is shifting, and 2016 is such an exciting year for marijuana law reform. So d- d- despite kind of this, this shifting tide, the only two presidential candidates talking about legalizing cannabis federally are both third-party candidates, uh, Jill Stein uh, from the Green Party and Gary Johnson from the Libertarian Party. Uh, is, is, and is marijuana still a fringe issue when it comes to politics? Uh, you know, you, you have the, the, the quote-unquote progressive Democrats who haven't discussed at all legalizing on a federal level. Um, you know, and then you have the Republicans who are obviously just going to keep doing nothing. So I'm, I'm wondering, what is your take on that? You know, I'm not sure it's a fringe issue. Both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, the nominees for president, have been asked about their stance on marijuana legalization a couple times. You are correct, though, that neither of them um, endorse a a full federal uh, legalization. Um, But more importantly, do they, uh, will they allow, if either of them were to be in office, will they allow states to move forward with their own reforms free from federal interference? And luckily, both candidates have said that they would allow that. Um, Of course, Clinton has kind of doubled down on her positions, um, endorsing medical marijuana and, and calling for more research into its effects. Uh, But to be honest, Trump has been a little bit all all over the place on the issue. Um, He said that he would let states move forward free from federal interference. However, he associates himself with, uh, you know, a number of high profile politicians uh, such as Chris Christie that have been very opposed to marijuana reforms. So it's a little bit unsettling if Trump were to be in office. Uh, He could appoint someone such as Christie to an important cabinet position. Uh, But in general, they're kind of in in the same position, which is, again, you know, they've acknowledged marijuana as an issue. They've kind of stuck their foot in the sand in terms of their position, but... I do give them credit in, in acknowledging it and, and taking a position. So you had mentioned Chris Christie, and uh, now in New Jersey, uh, a lawmaker has proposed legislation that would regulate marijuana like tobacco. Um, I'm wondering, you know, it's, 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 first of all, I've been covering public policy for several years, and bills like this sometimes you know, get stalled in committee or they get voted in one house and not the other. Um, Do you see uh, this proposal in New Jersey 
having any chance on on getting to the governor's desk passed? So the key words were what you just said at the end. Uh, Not only does the measure need to pass both chambers, the House and the Senate, but it it eventually ends up on the governor's desk who has to sign it uh, in order for it to become law. Um, And obviously with Chris Christie uh, as governor, I I can pretty surely say that if uh, a legalization uh, law bill were to end up on his desk, he would not sign it whatsoever. Um, with that being said, the measure is a really common sense proposal uh, that was actually introduced by um, arguably one of the most conservative members of New Jersey's delegation, which is pretty ironic, but of course welcomed. Uh, We are supporting that legislation on our website. Uh, If you want to contact your members in New Jersey to tell them to support it, check that out. Um, We will do our best to support it. However, um, there was this proposal actually uh, makes it two legalization pending proposals in New Jersey. Uh, The first one has been through... um, the chambers for quite a while, no action has been taken. So it's tough for me to say if the other one will be successful. Um, chances are, unfortunately, not. Um, and he, again, even if it were, it would end up on, unfortunately, uh, Governor Christie's desk, which doesn't bode well either. So if just the ballot initiatives pass, we would have nine states plus D.C. with legal cannabis. We'd have 27 states with some form of medical marijuana available. Um, if legalization did run the table in November, do you think we could expect any more states in 2018 and 2020? Or are those remaining states just not ready? That's a good question. It's kind of hard to gauge where uh, some states are in this process. It obviously takes states a number of years to prepare for this move. This is not something where voters in the states kind of just wake up on election day and now they're faced with a legalization question. Um, It it has to build up. Um, I think even more exciting uh, rather than more ballot initiatives in 2018 and 2020 is the idea of a state legalizing marijuana through uh, the legislature rather than the ballot. Uh, And this is very, very important in the coming years because only 18 states allow voters the right to amend uh, their state constitution through the ballot initiative process. Uh, So most states will have to legalize through legislative means. So peer into your crystal ball for me. Who who can possibly, which state might possibly be next to legalize it, uh, you know, legislatively or Yeah, that's a good question. I'm going to have to say Vermont. Vermont has come very, very close um, several times over. They've been having this conversation for years. Um, Unfortunately, it hasn't happened yet, but it's uh, they have the support of their governor, which is really important, obviously. Um, And they've tried it over and over. It's just a matter of finding that consensus um, through both chambers and through both parties. Um, you know, I, I'm really keeping my fingers crossed for Vermont. <laughs> now, before we wrap up, I just want to touch base on the congressional scorecard from normal, because I know that you put a lot of time and effort into it personally. Was there anything that you discovered when you were researching these members of Congress that was particularly shocking? And what is the overall goal of the project? 
Absolutely. So Normal did just release an updated uh, 2016 congressional scorecard. This is essentially a voter tool that provides a letter grade A through F to every single member of Congress. So this is your, uh, these are your federal lawmakers, not your state lawmakers. Um, and essentially we graded them on a couple of things. We looked at whether or not they introduced or sponsored marijuana-related legislation, uh, whether they co-sponsored and supported marijuana-related legislation, uh, whether they had the opportunity to uh, vote on any marijuana-related amendments or bills, uh, and then, of course, any public comments that they've made on the subject. Uh, so we gathered all of that information for all 535 members of Congress, uh, and according to that, provided them a letter grade. And, uh, you know, the most surprising thing uh, to me in, in doing this project was really just looking at where uh, voter sentiment is. I just rattled off a bunch of statistics to you um, a few minutes ago, uh, where it's very clear that voters are ready for legal marijuana, um, whether that's on the state level or either reclassifying or preferably declassifying marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act uh, or passing legislation like the CARES Act, which would uh, allow for a significant amount of research to be done on marijuana. Um, whatever it is, uh, Americans and voters are absolutely ready for the federal government to take some sort of action, and yet uh, we just don't see that. I mentioned uh, earlier describing the scorecard whether or not any uh, members had had the opportunity to vote on a mar marijuana-related bill. Um, that's a no for everyone because despite there being about 25 to 30 marijuana-related pieces of legislation pending at the congressional level, not one has ever been heard before a committee. Not one. Um, we've only ever seen uh, progress in terms of um, annual budgetary amendments that are related to marijuana. So it's really time that these uh, members of Congress uh, look at who they're representing, look at how they feel about these reforms, and take some action. Uh, because there's just no doubt about it, uh, the voters are ready. I, I've always kind of maintained that, that the failure to act by our federal government is because that would be them admitting fault, you know, that they were wrong year after year after year about marijuana legislation. Do you think that this is uh, responsible for this inaction? I think that's a good idea, um, but quite frankly, I, I don't care if they think that they're wrong. <laughs> it's time to uh, be aware that you're not representing yourself in Washington, D.C. or uh, what you want. You're representing um, thousands, hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of voters in the state that you represent. Um, and it's really, really clear uh, where the voters stand on this issue. So it's getting to a pretty unacceptable point for inaction. Is there one final message that you would like to give to those constituents in states with initiatives on the ballot? Absolutely. Uh, my message is simple, and that is just to educate yourself and your, your friends and family and go out and vote. 
We need you to vote. Um, Normal has outlines and information on all of the pending ballot initiatives on our website. You can just go to the homepage, normal.org, and you'll get all of the information you need there. Uh, You're also going to be voting on your uh, members of Congress and your state elected officials. We can help you learn about your uh, congressional members with our scorecard. Um, Otherwise, you can look up a normal chapter near you in your state that hopefully has information on your state elected officials. Um, Just please pay attention to what's on the ballot uh, and vote. That's it. Well, Danielle, I'd like to thank you very, very much for being uh, on the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you can find more episodes of the Gondrepreneur podcast in the podcast section at Gondrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gondrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news, product reviews, and cannabis jobs updated daily, along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gondrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. I've been your host, T.G. Brantfall.